0: On today's show, we're going to talk about Luis Garavito from Colombia and Andre Chikatilo from Russia. This is Bad in the Boondocks. Bad in the Boondocks Bad in the Boondocks Bad in the Boondocks, Bad in the Boondocks, Lord have mercy, can't help me, Bad in the Boondocks. Hey, and welcome to Bad in the Boondocks. As always, I am Stan. And I'm Jeru. And we are glad that you're listening. Yeah. Um, a few little housekeeping. Get that broom out. Just kidding. Um, first, remember, our new website is live. It is www.badintheboondocks.com. You can go there, do everything. You can subscribe directly to whatever podcast situation you use. You can listen. You can review straight from there. You can. Um, links to our Facebook, Twitter, Twitter. Also, you can get in touch with us. And if you like the show and you want to support us, keep us independent without ads, please visit our Patreon page. Go to patreon.com, Bad and the Boondocks. We have three tiers. Each tier has its own great rewards. We have our first episode out for patrons only. Waiting on our patrons to subscribe before we do any more episodes and also remember we are going to be at True Crime Podcast Festival this year in Chicago so go get your tickets so that you can meet us and we can meet you and all yeah. that good stuff and i think that's all of that uh, is all of the housekeeping i believe yeah i think so and folks, just hold on tight, buckle in, cook you some popcorn, get you a glass of wine. This is going to be a longer one. Yeah. I'm going to go first. Yep. I'm doing Luis Garavito. Okay. From Colombia. Garavito was born on January 25th, 1957 in Genova, Quindio, Colombia. He is the eldest of seven brothers. Garavito lived in a profane home where he was physically and emotionally abused by his alcoholic father. In his testimony, Garavito also described being subjected to sexual abuse. His abusive and unstable familial living situation, among other reasons, led him to flee home at age of 16 in an attempt to start a life away from his family and Garavito started working as soon as he left home, traveling a substantial amount to keep up with the job demands in Colombia. Although he frequently moved, Garavito had a girlfriend, and his girlfriend had a small child, which she recalls him getting along with wonderfully. Garavito was known by his friends to be kind yet easily tempered. Garavito's victims were clearly identified by their age, gender, and social status. Garavito targeted boys between the ages of 6 to 16, who were either homeless, peasants, or orphaned. He would approach the young boys either on the crowded streets or alone in the countryside and lure them away by bribing them with small gifts such as money, candy, or odd jobs. Don't go with strangers. Never. Never. He offered easy work for money and even disguised himself as different characters who could be seen as legitimately offering work to the boy. Some of those um, characters that he would disguise as were a priest, a farmer, a homeless man, a street vendor, a drug dealer, an elderly man, and even a gambler.
1: That's a lot of work Yeah, dressing up as all those people.
0: To prevent suspicions about his activities from developing, Garavito would change his disguise often. Then, once he had the trust of the child, Garavito would walk with the boy until they were tired and vulnerable, which then made them easy to handle. Firstly, their hands were bound. Then, Garavito would torture, rape, and sometimes decapitate his victims. In one case after another, the child's genitals were severed and placed into the victim's mouth. The bodies of the children all bore bite marks and signs of anal penetration. Bottles of lubricant were found near the bodies, along with empty liquor bottles. Most corpses showed signs of prolonged torture. Beginning in 1992, boys between the ages of six through 16 began disappearing rapidly from the streets of Colombia, Due to the decades long civil war, Many children in Colombia were poor, homeless, or orphaned. For years, these murders had gone unnoticed because many of the victims had no police report filed on their disappearance. Clusters of bodies have begun popping up all over Colombia. Yet, the Criminal Justice Department did not take much notice until 1997. And that's when mass graves were uncovered. This large number of missing children called for a widespread investigation, as these killings were not confined to a specific area. And in February of 1998, outside the town of Genoa, Columbia, two bodies of two naked children were found lying next to each other on a hill. The next day, only meters away, another child's body was found. All three bodies had their hands bound. The victims' necks were severely cut. The murder weapon was found in the same area as the bodies. A note had been found at the crime scene that had an address written on it, and this information led them to Garavito's girlfriend. She was contacted but told police that she had not seen Garavito in months. She did, however, give to the police a bag that he had left in her possession, which contained a number of Garavito's belongings, These items included pictures of young boys, detailed journals of his murders, tally marks of his victims, and bills. This new information led them to Garavito's residence, but the property was vacant. Detectives believed that Garavito was either traveling for work or away attempting to find his next victim. He was picked up by the local police just a few days later on an unrelated charge of attempted rape against an adolescent boy. A homeless man had been close enough to observe the struggle between Garavito and the child and felt that it was necessary to rescue the adolescent. Garavito was arrested and, unbeknownst to them, the police had in their custody the man who was the most wanted killer in Colombia. Garavito was arrested on April 22, 1999 on separate charges of attempted rape. Garavito was questioned about the local killings and his attempted rape charges. Police speculated that Garavito had planned on killing the young boy if the bystander had not interceded. After a short interrogation, detectives suspected Garavito of being the beast. Although Garavito had insisted on his innocence, the detailed description of his killings brought Garavito to tears for Colombia's justice department Garavito's confession was not enough Garavito had an eye condition which was rare and it was only found in men of a particular age group his glasses were specifically designed for his unique condition these particular glasses were found at the site of one of the mass graves Garavito also left behind empty liquor bottles his underwear His shoes sometimes. DNA was also found inside the victim's anal cavity, along with other items left behind.
1: He's a very sloppy serial killer. He's not very good.
0: He's not big on cleaning up.
1: No, he's not.
0: Police scheduled the entire jail while Garavito was being detained to get an eye exam. And the outcome of his eye exam would help police pair the glasses to him. By making it mandatory for all the prisoners, it reduced Garavito's suspicion, and it kept Garavito from lying about his eyesight also. While Garavito was out of his cell, detectives took DNA samples from his pillow and living area. The DNA found at the crime scene was a match to the DNA found in Garavito's cell. And here we go. Garavito confessed to murdering 140 children.
1: Good God.
0: He was charged with killing 172 throughout Colombia. Garavito was found guilty on 138 of the 172 accounts. The others are still ongoing. Yeah. Although the maximum sentence for murder in Colombia multiplied by 138 comes to... 1,853 years and nine days. Colombian law limits imprisonment to 40 years.
1: That's messed up, though. Because he killed all those pe- all those children and stuff, and then only has to go for 40 years? No. Because Garavito helped
0: the police find the victims' bodies, his sentence was further reduced to 22 years.
1: What was the need to even find the bodies if... You're going to reduce the sentence, I don't understand.
0: I guess, of the victims' families, but a lot of them didn't even have anything, you know.
1: No, because they were We're No, police, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's not justice for the children. No. Luis Alfredo Garavito is serving his sentence in a Colombian prison, the exact location of which is unavailable to the public. Worried about his safety and well-being because... That's what you want to do is worry about his safety and well-being. Exactly. Garavito has made an arrangement with police. Police cooperation and his continued good behavior has ensured Garavito's safety within the prison walls. He's held separately from all the other prisoners because it's feared that he would be killed immediately. Maybe that's what needs to happen. Yeah. He is paranoid of being poisoned, therefore he only accepts drinks given directly to him by individuals who he trusts. His guards are on very good terms with Garavito because they say he's relaxed, positive, and respectful towards them. Well,
1: yeah, because he only has to serve 22 years for all those killings.
0: Well, he's considered to be a well-behaved inmate with a positive attitude, and he is scheduled to be released in the year 2021. Yeah, two years from now. Yeah. And I'm
1: sure he won't go right back to doing what he was doing. Of course he will.
0: That is so messed up. I don't see how they can.
1: You know that those other prison inmates, because they probably have more um, time than him for doing less than. What oh, why not? Did.
0: But you can't get over 40 years. Uh, but I, I mean, I don't think I would have
1: offered a deal. Oh, no.
0: All right. Well, that was Louis Garavito. The douchebag. Yeah. That's serving nowhere near the amount of Mm
1: -hmm. years. Mm -hmm.
0: And now, before you start your story, I want everybody to listen to a promo from one of our friends, another podcast that I really think y'all will enjoy.
1: Hey guys, I'm your host, Amanda, and this is The State of Perfect Balance. My dad
0: I just my dad. Sam called on the phone and he said, uh, for God's sake, Fred, get over here quick. I think they've
1: killed Mary." The State of Perfect Balance is a true crime podcast in a genre all its own. We are a husband and wife team researching, writing, and delivering stories in a way that focuses on victims and their families. Join us every other week as we look at murders in the smallest of towns across Ohio, the State of Perfect Balance. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode brought to you by our friends.
0: All right. The State of Perfect Balance is a really good podcast. I've actually binged it the past few days. Yeah. And I would actually suggest for all of our listeners to do the same.
1: Yeah, it's actually really good. I like it. Yeah. All right. So do you want to get into your story? I sure will. Now this one's a little bit longer one, so you might want to get relaxed. Okay. As I talk about Andre Romanov Chikatilo.
0: Yay!
1: I actually said it right this time, and I
0: like him. I mean, I don't like him, but I think it's very interesting, very.
1: On October 16th 1936, Andre Romanov Chikatilo was born. His parents were both collective farm laborers. They lived in a village in Royal Ukraine. Ukraine <laughs> a territory ran by former Soviet Union. The family worked hard because of Stalin's enforcements brought hardships to the country. The family lacked food and oftentimes had to eat leaves and grass. Wow. How do you even get full off of that? It's like I mean you would it'd be like salad, I guess. Oh yeah, you could eat like spinach or leaves coming I mean, off the trees, I guess. Yeah, yeah, cows yeah. do it. They eat grass mm-hmm. and <laughs> The fam. Oh yeah. There were no obvious problems early on with Chikatilo, and appeared to have a normal relationship with his parents. On June the twenty second, nineteen forty one, Hitler's army attacked on the Soviet Union. Andrei's father, Roman, had to go fight for the Red Army. Roman was captured by the enemy and spent the rest of the war as a prisoner. The Nazis now occupied most of the Ukraine, and Chikatilo experienced gunfire, bombings, and fires. At this time, he and his mother shared a bed, but he suffered from hydrocephalus, which was diagnosed at birth, which made him wet the bed. So his mother, because of his accidents, regular beat regularly beat him and scolded him for it. How old was he now? He was still really young, like... Six, I think. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, his mother told him a story which would stay with him for the rest of his life and have may contributed to the heinous crimes he committed. She told him that in 1934, his cousin had disappeared from the villi- village and had been kidnapped. She told him that his cousin had been eaten by the locals, and, no, he was five at the time. And being five at the time, his mother told him and this left a scar in his mind that never went away. Well, yeah, it would if I. Exactly. He wasn't just horrified though by this gruesome tale. He was also fascinated. Oh. Yeah. In 1943, Chikatilo's mother gave birth to his half sister named Tatiana. Now this is this is Russia, so like these names are very hard to pronounce. The father is known unknown as Roman. As Roman was away at the war at the time, she had the baby, so the father's unknown. Oh, okay. As Roman was away, okay, yeah. Some believed this was a result of rape by a German soldier, which is not unlikely considering the Germans controlled most of the area at the time. A year after Tatiana was born, Chikatilo started school, and it came no surprise that he didn't really fit in with the other kids. He was shy and secretive, and at the time, he was still wetting the bed. School was also hard for him because he couldn't see very well because of his chronic short-sightedness, making it difficult for him to see the board during lessons. But instead of telling anyone, he kept this weakness to himself and suffered alone. He did not get his first pair of glasses till he was 30 years old. Wow. In 1945, his father, Roman, was allowed to return home to his family, but his welcome was not considered heroic because of his capture. This brought shame to the family. Word spread to school and now Chikatilo was being bullied for what his father did. Regard the bullying, he was actually a decent student, um excellent in English, and he had an extraordinary <laughs> extraordinary, extraordinary ability to remember things, including the constant ridicule of his classmates. Those Russian words. I swear to you, (laughs) they get to you every time. Gosh darn. He was not able to sit close to a female without blushing, so he became more isolated by himself and decided to pick up books, and this allowed him to explore deeper into his dark fantasies. Despite his shortcomings... He was not an ugly boy and by his teens he was a strong handsome man who was a model student
0: may I just say that hmm. later in life he did not age well then
1: no 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 um at, and during his teens he was not bad looking at all uh, but later I on seen picture. he Do you have a picture of it. you can look it up i'm mean, we'll probably uh, put it on the website and all right. yeah He ended up graduating with excellent grades in 1954. This same year, he was left home alone, and while he was there, he heard a knock at the door. This was a friend of his sister's, a girl named Tanya Bala, age 13. Chikatilo looked at her from head to toe, and his sexual urges took over. He pushed her on the floor, and he got on top, laying there pressed tightly together. Nothing physical actually happened between them, but this was Chikatilo's first sexual encounter. After this, he was embarrassed and promised himself to stay pure until he was married. He focused more on studying and bettering his education and decided to go to Moscow University. He traveled to Moscow to take the entrance exams, but his family was dirt poor, so he had to sleep in a railroad station during this period. His dreams on going to to the school in Moscow had been shattered when he heard that he was not accepted into the university. Chikatilo developed a deep hatred towards his father, convinced the reason he didn't get in was because his father's capture in the war. Since his dreams were crushed, he ended up going to a local technical college for a course in communications engineering. During this time, He had his first girlfriend, and of course it was with one of his sister's friends, and the relationship lasted less than two months. In 1955, he moved to the city of Niz... What? (laughs) Nizni-Tijel. To work on a long-term construction project. His co-workers liked him, but he was still unable to sustain a relationship with the girl and resorted back to his school days, afraid of being ridiculed and mocked. In 1957, he was called for military service and was drafted in the communications unit, but yet again, in the army, was similar to his school days, unable to mix, and became a loner. He chose not to go out in the evenings with girls like his fellow soldiers. Instead, he spent his time alone in the barracks, listening to the radio and studying politics. I'm surprised. How much fun. Yeah, but I'm
0: surprised that they allowed him in the army or didn't make him get glasses, because don't you get, like, I don't know. screamed? Yeah, you
1: do have to get... I thought that ex- that's... Uh, maybe not exams. in Russia. Probably not in Russia. But they do At some crazy time. stuff, I'm telling you. After his service was completed, Chikatilo moved back into his family home, but did not stay long. Being 24 years old, With ambitions, he decided to move some hundred miles away to Russia. When he got there, he found a job working as a telephone engineer in a small town of north of Rostov. Things were going good for Chikatilo, having purpose, and finally having his own place. But about a year later, his family moved in with him in his one-bathroom, one-bedroom apartment. Poor thing. I knowing you know how they must have been yelling and screaming all the time. God. Short, shortly after they moved out and got their own place close by, his sister Tatiana met a man from the town and married. He was 27, and he seemed to not be getting any closer to forming any relationships, and his sister became worried for him and his inability to form a relationship, so she tried to matchmake him with other women, but this turned out as a fail. Yeah. But later on, she did finally hook up Chikatilo with a woman in 1963 named Fenya, and he seemed to, to like her quite a bit, but during his first outing, his shyness got the better of him, and he wasn't able to even look at her in the eyes least yeah, yet, speak a sentence. It didn't go well and out. Well, after their outing, Finya actually still stuck around, and after the next few dates, they warmed up to each other. Literally, mm. <laughs> Finya thought of him to be an ideal marriage material. He didn't drink, didn't womanize, had good job prospects, and most of all, he respected her. In 1963. They married, and on the first night of a married couple, she started to realize that he had real problems. Yeah, it never, Yeah, but it never actually states what she meant by this, but it's just... I'm thinking he probably couldn't get it out. Probably a lot, yeah. Um, she did manage to get pregnant and gave birth to a baby girl in 1967, and then two years later, they had a son. Chikatilo decided to better himself and started studying Russian language and literature at Rostov University. Chikatilo was a good father, and it appeared to everyone else like the perfect family. But the fantasy world was still turning inside his head. His wife dominated the household, and this was causing him to get depressed. The thoughts in his head were getting worse and worse. And longed to have a normal relationship, but he had nowhere to turn to with these thoughts, these type of thoughts and feelings. They were not open for discussion to other people in the nineteen seventy, and no one knew just how twisted he really was. I bet he. I mean, he didn't even really know. No, cause I mean he couldn't talk to anybody about it. So, despite his evil thoughts, he did manage to get degrees in Russian literature, engineering and marxism Lenis, leninism now i i think that that is like um some it's like studying about the soviet union and stuff like that i think you know studying about russia leninism yeah leninism marxism, right okay leninism. right you know what that is like yeah like lenin what It doesn't actually have anything to do with linen. Uh, the ruler? Who was that? I don't know. Go ahead. No, I think that it was like, it was about studying about the country and stuff like that, you know? And that happened in 1971. And despite the problems behind closed doors, Finna was proud for Chicotilo and was glad to be able to boast to other people about her husband. Now with these degrees, he was able to get a job teaching at a school in Rostov. He soon had no control over his class, becoming uninspiring, and resorted to his shy ways yet again.
0: Okay, yes. It was named for the Russian revolutionary oh. Vladimir Lenin. Oh, okay, okay, okay.
1: It's socialist, political, and economic theories. See, I looked it up, but I didn't, I couldn't find much About it. Like, I didn't really know what it was trying to say. So, may I continue? You can. Okay. The children teased him, and even his co-workers ridiculed him, and this made him develop an unhealthy interest for the children, in particular, the girls of his class. He started to sit close to the girls, making them very uncomfortable, and would even walk into the girls' dormitory unannounced. His odd sexual behavior would go on for three years until his school finally asked him to resign, but when he left, this behavior was not mentioned in his work references. It is said that Finya even knew about Chikatilo's sexual urges, but thought that it was a joke and said nothing about it. If she were to have spoke out, she could have saved countless lives. Tikatilo found another teaching job just around the corner. This was different because the students were older. He did not get much of a chance to do anything here, and cutbacks were made in 1978, and he was the first one to leave. Again, he found another job, but this time at a, as a warden at another school in a nearby town called Shakti. He got a free apartment for working there, and Fenya was even given a position as a matron. The college housed young men between the ages of 15 and 19. He did do some teaching, but his main job was to look after the boys in their hostels in the evening, and here, like all the other schools, no one really liked him. The staff and students disliked him, and the boys were total chaos when he was on duty. He did end up sexually assaulting a boy when he was sleeping, but of course, since this sort of thing was not talked about during this time, this was kept quiet. Without the family knowing, Chikatilo bought a one-room house in an attempt to build a secret life away from the family where he could unleash his sexual desires without anyone knowing. He would lure men and women, mostly prostitutes, back to the house, promising them money or food in return for sexual favors. He did attempt to lure children back to the house, but most times they would run back to their parents. On December 22, 1978, Chikatilo caught his first victim, nine-year-old Helena Sakanova. Helena was walking home after staying late at a friend's house when Chikatilo approached her and started talking. She then told him that she needed to use the restroom. I would have just used it outside. Exactly. He then invited her back to his place, in which that would be the last time she was seen alive. As soon as she walked through the door, he struck her, sexually assaulted her, and then jacked off while he wildly stabbed her. After Chikatilo killed poor little Helena, he threw her body in the Groshtavaka River. I'm not sure if that's right. (laughs) Well, it's Groshtavaka River. Then went back to the family home to clean himself up. Helena's body was then washed up three days later. And this killing excited Chikatilo very much, enjoying the struggle before killing his victims as soon as as well as he enjoyed the blood. Again, the same circumstances, like like with Finya, there was a chance for him to be stopped. People living near his home tipped off the police about the strange man that was visiting there, and they believed he used the home as a type of love nest.
0: <laughs> love nest.
1: <laughs> Neighbors also told that on the night of Helena's disappearance, the light in the house was left on all night which was strange since he never stayed the night and the house light was never left on. He was then questioned eight times about Helena's murder. Eight? Yeah. And about his past working at other schools. Finger provided an alibi for him, saying that he was home with her all night, which was not true since she was working at the time... ...at the time, and the police accepted this despite the strong evidence pointed straight to Chikatilo.
0: You would have thought that with eight times of the questioning, they would have checked out her if exactly. she was home.
1: Yep. Now with him off the list, they charged a man by the name of Alexander... ...Providochenko, <laughs> to say that that's right, <laughs> who had been arrested for similar crimes and confessed to this murder even though that he didn't do it. 4 years later, he was killed by firing squad for a crime he did not commit. This brought suspicion on Chikatilo. And shortly after, the place in which he worked asked him to resign due to cutbacks, and again he found himself looking for a job. He then stopped his teaching jobs and got a job as a supply clerk at an apartment. Um I mean, no at the Rostovs local industrial complex, with which disappointed the family.
0: Where did you get
1: apartment from that? I don't know. No, I, accident, <laughs> I accidentally skipped the oh. line. Okay. Yeah, because the words are so small, but then you don't want to do them so big because then the papers pile up. So, Well, this job also came with an apartment that the family moved into. And even though that this job was a letdown, it was best suited for Chikatilo because he was alone most of the time and it required him to travel.
0: And he was he still married?
1: Yes, he's still married. He's going to be married to Finga the whole time.
0: Oh, the whole time?
1: Yeah. Hmm. Somehow she saw some kind of light in him and just kept it there. This gave him the perfect time to commit his murders. Um, since he would be gone for days at a time. But since he was in the hot seat at the time with police, he waited three years before he attacked again.
0: Well, that was nice of him.
1: <laughs> On September 3rd, 1981, he struck again. This time, a 17 year old girl by the name of Larissa Tachink- Takachinko. <laughs> Sorry, everyone, for these names. <laughs> I, I, I didn't apologize at first because I knew that these last names and some of the first names are all kind of wonky, but... He picked her up in the middle of Rostov City on one of his business trips. She went with them without question, even though that he was much older than her, hoping he would give her food, drink, and a good time. Oh, shoot. Yeah. They walked along the path in a wooded area on both sides before he s- snapped and led her into the woods. He then brutally attacked her, strangling, stabbing, and then finally gagging her with leaves and dirt to stop her from screaming, and then he mutilated her. This killing gave Chikatilo the feeling he had been longing for all of his life. Larissa's poor body was found partially covered with dirt the next day. Nine months later, In June of the following year, he went on a killing spree. His next victim was 13-year-old Leoba Boyok. (laughs) And as she was running errands for her mother, she was stopped by Chikatilo, who was on another business trip. He then stabbed her face and eyes and left her body partially covered in the summer heat before her skeletal remains were discovered two weeks later. That didn't take long. Mm-mm. Over the next months, Chikatilo killed another six children, brutally beating, stabbing, and mutilating their bodies. Then, in September, there was a change from females to males, and he targeted two young boys. He then beat and stabbed nine-year-old Irina Korobilas-Kova <laughs> and 15-year-old Sergey Kuzmin. His last known killing of that year was a 10-year-old girl by the name of Olga Stalmichinok. Mm. Stalmichinok. Oh. That, I think that's That'd as get. close as you're going to mm. get. But now, he was not satisfied with just killing his... W- <laughs> sat- satisfied? <laughs> i not, sat- I'm not sad- sat- satisfied. <laughs> satisfied. 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 But now he was not happy with just killing his victims, and most of his victims would have over 30 stab wounds to the stomach and genitals. Sometimes he was to use the knife as a penis and stick the knife inside their vaginas. In a number of cases, he ate the sexual organs or removed other body parts such as the tips of their noses or tongues. The common pattern was to inflict damage to the eye area slashing across the sockets and removing the eyeballs, an act which Chikatilo later attributed to a belief... Oh, let me... Can I guess?
0: What? The last thing that the victim sees?
1: Well, yes, but... He believed that his victims kept an imprint of his face and eyes even after they were dead. Mm. Yeah. This pattern allowed police, even though the murders were, like, hundreds miles apart to link the murders all together in 1983 Chikatilo killed another eight children but now he had to be careful and oftentimes picked young adults that were prostitutes alcoholics or homeless people promising them money or food which to them was like great in return for sex he didn't care if they were male or females and he chose these people because they dropped out of society and would not be reporting missing. By the end of the night of 1983, there were seventeen found victims. The Central Moscow militia became worried about the number of children being found dead, so they sent Major Mikhail Fedazov to Rostov to take over the investigation. Fedezov announced that the murders were being committed by a sexually craved male to police, but he failed to tell the public about the sexually craved child serial killer that was on the loose. It's now 1984 and Chikatilo's work colleagues basically ignored him, and his bosses were concerned of his worth ethics. His home life was chaotic since he was hardly ever there, because he was searching for his next victims, on January ninth, nineteen eighty four, he found a new victim, a girl named Natalia Shalapina, age seventeen, in Rostov's Aviators Park. That that same month, in the same park, he killed forty four year old woman named Marta Ryabinenko. Both women had hardships and had restored. Resorted to drinking alcohol and prostitution, and both bodies were found stabbed and mutilated. Again, like the other cases, an innocent man was blamed for those killings and charged for both murders, taking all the attention off of Chicotillo. Charges were brought against Chicotillo, but not for the murders, but for stealing from his co workers, and yet again, he was out of a job. In his mind, he had a job, though to kill as many people as possible. So on March 24, 1984, he killed a 10-year old boy named Dmitry Pash- Pashkov. During this murder he was seen by several witnesses and were able to give investigators a detailed description of the killer. The boy's bodies were found, the boy's body was found three days later and along with the body was a footprint and bodily fluids, That was on the victim's clothing. With the bodily fluids, they were able to figure out that the murderer's blood type was AB. But there was a mistake. That was not realized at the time. But Chikatilo's blood type was actually type A. And type A blood type required a blood sample to find out. So he was free to carry on killing. In the next six months, he was able to kill 12 more people and in the beginning of August, he was able to land another job working at a factory in Rostov. Here again, he was disliked by his co-workers, and he was ridiculed, making him kill again the day after he started. He killed a 16-year-old girl named Natalia Golosovskaka.
0: There's a lot of Natalias.
1: There, there actually is. That's like a really famous uh, name in Russia. Okay. Natalia but, um, Galasovskaya, basically. And 17 year old Layudomila Alexandiafa. <laughs> After this, on August 8th, 1984, Chikatilo went to the airport and flew to Tashkent, the capital of Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan. I'm telling you, these. Words that are from Russia are very difficult. Uzbekistan. That's how you say it. Uzbekistan. And stayed there for a week on a business trip. The first thing that he did when he got there was purchase a knife, and he killed a woman unaware of the name, and her body was found decapitated. He also killed a 12-year-old girl who was lost from her home on August 13th 1984.
0: He's all over the place with who he killed. He
1: really is, I'm telling you. He, I mean, most of his victims are younger people, but he moves from place to place all the time. (coughs) Plus, police thought that they were looking for type A-B blood type, and his blood type is type A. So, Chikatilo, he then returned home to Rustoff and killed a 12-year-old boy by the name of Alexander Chappelle. He was castrated, and his eyes were gouged out when the body was found. Two weeks later, he killed a girl, 24-year-old Irina Luchinskaya. We'll just say the first name. Yeah, that's a good idea. (laughs) Police searched her whole body for evidence, and were still sure they were looking for a killer with type A blood. So when Chikatilo was arrested on September... So type AB, right?
0: He had type A.
1: Yeah, I mean... Yeah, they were still looking for type A-B. Mm -hmm. Um, Chikatilo was arrested on September fourteenth, nineteen 1984. His blood type showed type A and was immediately eliminated from the suspects, even though everything pointed to him as the killer. He was let go, but then arrested and charged for the theft he had committed at his other job and sentenced to one year in prison. He was then released from good behavior after just three months, and on December 12, 1984, Chikatilo was free to kill again. Now, Chikatilo had a fresh start since he had been wiped clean from the suspect list. He didn't kill right away, though. He returned home to the family to celebrate the new year with his wife and kids. After the new year was over, he found a job working as an engineer at a nearby locomotive factory. He held his urges in and did not kill anyone during this time, but finally, with it being just under a year, he took a business trip to Moscow and resumed his killings. Chikatilo killed 18-year-old Natalia, another Natalia, but little did he know that the Major was back in Moscow and back on the case. As soon as Major Feduzov took a look at the body, he was sure that the same man was back killing again. On Septem- on Chikatilo's way back home, he killed an 18-year-old girl, Irina. Finally, investigators were tired of searching for this killer, and it was enough, so they hired the best detective in Russia to, to work side Feduzov. Chikatila heard of this move the investigators were pulling and decided not to kill again for two years. But finally, on May 16, 1987, he was sent on a business trip to the town of Revda where he murdered a 13-year-old boy. On July 29, 1987, he killed again on a trip to Ukraine, a 12-year-old boy named Ivan and the attack was so brutal that the knife broke in half and was found at the crime scene.
0: Good Lord.
1: Yeah. The next two years, he murdered nine more victims, mostly children, and cut off parts of the bodies to effectively carry and dispose of them. When the police found the bodies, they were all cut up. The girls' nipples and uteruses were cut off, and the males' genitals and tongues were cut off. 1990 would be the last year he would be able to kill. He started a new job and killed eight more people. At a train station, he made friends with a 22-year-old named Sivitlana. but little did he know she would be Chikatilo's last victim. For some odd reason, she willingly went with him into the woods, most likely for sex where he stabbed her and cut out her tongue and took her nipples to to eat them. On November 20th, 1990, he was under heavy surveillance as police now know that Chikatilo's the killer. He tried to approach a young boy despite the surveillance, but the young boy was called by his mother. Three police officers saw this and approached him and arrested him. When they searched his bag, they found a knife, rope, and pocket mirror. Chikatilo was interviewed by a psychiatrist named Alexander, and he told him about the murders he had committed. He then, over the next few weeks, admitted to killing 52 people, and even pointed police to some of the places he had hidden his undiscovered bodies and described how he cut up his victims and ate them. With all of his confessions... This helped build an extremely strong case against him. The jury decided he was sane at the time of the murders, but there was a lesion on his brain, which could have caused some brain damage. Chikatilo was charged with 53 murders and was found guilty of 52 of them because the one didn't have enough evidence to convict him. But he actually confessed to 56 murders. On April 14, 1992, he went to court and was sailed in a cage during trial because he was too dangerous to be let out. In court, he acted erratically, shouting, changing his statements, and even dropping his pants and waving his genitals and penis around. But finally, despite all of this, he was found guilty on October 15, 1992 of 52 counts of murder and sentenced to death for each of them. On February 14th, 1994, he was taken out of his cell and led into a soundproof room where a soldier walked behind him and fired a shot to the back of his head. Finally, Andre Romanovich Chikatilo was dead. And that's it. Well, at least it was justice. Exactly. Unlike mine. Yeah, yours had no justice whatsoever, no. but he was, like, execution style. No, he was executing. Well, yeah, but <laughs> he was executed executionally style. <laughs> <laughs> However you say that, man. You know what I mean. All right, well, that's what we got
0: for you today. So until next week, I have been Stan.
1: And I've been Drew. And this has been... Bad Bad in the boondocks. Boondocks. See you next time.
0: See ya.